Six Confessions of a Know-It-All In the movie Fracture, Ted's wife replies disgustedly, You think you're so much smarter than me, don't you? It must make you feel powerful. Ted replies, Helpless, actually. That two-word response sums up my entire experience. It also summarizes every one of my following confessions. Perhaps I just don't know enough to convert that knowledge into power. Then again, even God seems to struggle with mankind through the Bible, and he's omniscient and all-powerful. Maybe ignorance is bliss after all. You may find that you've experienced many, if not all, of the following six confessions for yourself, number four especially. Everyone knows more than someone and less than others. That's why I hope you'll enjoy reading my six confessions as you laugh along with me or at me or at all the other ignorant people you and I have to share our lives with on this earth. You may notice that I differ from the profile of a know-it-all in some major ways. Unlike the stereotype, I don't mind learning from others. You'll find that in confession number one. You may notice that confession number two and six seem to contradict each other. They both seem true to me. Confessions number four and five may seem very similar. I can't delete either one or combine them because I like both titles. Do I feel superior than others because of my vast knowledge? If the first paragraph didn't answer that for you, perhaps the last five confessions will. The conclusion is something I'm very happy with as a writer, so don't miss that. Confession number one. All men are not my teachers, but I wish they were. The easiest way to learn is to ask a question and get an answer. Having a know-it-all on speed dial is very convenient. I know this because I have a few on speed dial. Even Google isn't that convenient. I don't need to be the most informed, educated person I know. Neither do I care to be. You shouldn't either. Knowing more than everyone else means that you can't learn the easy way. Most people don't learn anything until they've heard a remote scrap of knowledge whittled down to almost nothing by the time it's delivered to the forefront of their consciousness. People actually think they're informed on a subject by listening to mediums that are intentionally dumbed down for the masses. Collecting political opinions and arguments from entertainment shows makes you as much of an economist and philosopher as watching sitcoms make you a psychiatrist. The truth is, everyone wants to be a know-it-all, but most are too lazy to learn it all. The truth is, if most people took just one subject and specialized in it, like I have with economics, they would save me and all the rest of us hours of time within just a few inquiries. This world needs more know-it-alls. Confession number two. A prophet is not without dishonor. In January 2018, I began telling my fellow drivers this is the year we're all getting raises. Trump had been elected, the economy was roaring, oil was at a reasonable price, and unemployment was dropping. I had no inside knowledge. I just knew that a wage increase was inevitable if they wanted to keep their drivers. Most doubted. 
Stevens Tanker doesn't care about economics, I remember when exclaiming. You can read more about this in my 7 out of 7 predictions blog. It not only came to pass smack dab in the middle of the year, but also within the $1 to $2 an hour range that I had predicted. Yet it was obvious to everyone in hindsight. Of course they had to do this in a booming economy. Now everyone agreed that it was obvious and rewrote their memory to match the outcome. People usually forget what they were saying before. Last year, 2019, I predicted that Stevens Tanker was going to be out of business by January 2020. I especially reminded people of my pay raise prediction and followed up with, now I'm predicting that we'll all be out of a job by January. Management assured me that, uh, quote, our contracts are solid. I wasn't convinced and continued sharing my concerns with many other drivers, including at least three supervisors. Management responded by holding a meeting and addressing the, quote, rumor going around that we were going to go out of business and said plainly that it was not true. I sat in that chair among the others as the source of that rumor, wishing I could believe what I was hearing. Though not by name, I was publicly denounced. About a week later, when the company-wide email from the president detailing the end of the business came out, it was a surprise to everyone. That is, everyone except for me. I simply read the email and thought to myself, well, there it is. Though not by name, I had been publicly vindicated. No one, including me, was happy that I had been right the whole time. It was a hollow victory, if it was one at all. Early September of last year, 2019, and before Stevens Tanker had announced they were ending business, I made a bold prediction that seven industries would collapse within the next ten years. Number one on that list collapsed historically and unprecedentedly within the very first year. I was finally working on my blog, Seven Dying Industries, early this year when oil prices plunged towards zero. When I published it, the backlash was fierce. I hadn't expected such opposition to something so obvious. Friends claimed that I was wrong about everything. I may have gotten lucky on the prediction, but all my reasons were wrong according to, to my critics. Predictions are provable. Underlying causes usually remain shrouded in debate. Anyone can make up logical-sounding reasons why things happen in the past. That isn't as helpful as warning people about the future. Explaining events of the past allows people to feel and sound like they knew it was coming the whole time without ever putting their reputation on the line. The Messiah said a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own kin, and in his own house. Seems to me once you eliminate all those things, there isn't much room for honor at all in the end. Don't be surprised when you hear the big three automakers struggling to survive as they ditch internal combustion engine cars and frantically shift all operations toward electric car production. Even free gas won't save them. It's second on that list for a reason. The big three will likely be replaced by the big T, Tesla. 
But don't expect to look too far for opinions as to why I was wrong about the reasons even though I made a prediction that came true while everyone around me predicted the opposite. It happens every time. Confession number three. Intelligence is invisible to ignorance. The Yahoo Finance YouTube channel has a crew who constantly and openly mocked Elon Musk last year, 2019, when the stock had taken a downward direction. One actually said, he has no common sense. This is an outrageously ignorant statement. Of course Elon Musk doesn't operate on common sense or else he'd be working at a gas station somewhere. No offense to those who work gas stations. People with common sense do common things. His uncommon sense is why he is part of the first online mapping system ever created and successfully sold. His uncommon sense is why he was part of the first and wildly successful online payment system, PayPal. His uncommon sense is why his rocket company, SpaceX, is leading all companies and governments in the world by a long shot. No pun intended. His uncommon sense is why his car company is the most valuable automaker in the world. Don't be surprised when you hear news that the newest, rich pers richest person in the world is a guy named Elon Musk. It's only a matter of time. I wrote this before he's, he became number three, by the way. Uh, he has since gone up. Wait till SpaceX becomes uh, public. He will be the richest person in the world, even though Jeff Bezos is... Uh, the first person in history to be uh, have a net worth of $200 billion. This moron on YouTube finance was so clueless, he thought common sense was more valuable than cutting-edge innovative instinct with a perfect business record. For some reason, this host thought his inability to comprehend action taken at the highest level not making sense to him was not his own shortcoming, but instead the shortcoming of Elon Musk. If you find yourself believing you are smarter than people operating at a higher level than you, you are a fool. If you seriously start believing that somehow people operating at levels you can only dream of always seem to be dumber than you are, you're delusional. They're up there for a reason. Did you see the irony in my last two paragraphs? Do I think I'm smarter than that guy on YouTube Finance? He has an MBA and a legitimate public platform. Me? Hm, not so much. He can't be that much of a moron as he questions the intelligence of the most significant person of his, this century, I question the intelligence of someone getting paid to do what I could only dream of. Perhaps he decided to scoff at Elon Musk for entertaining per, entertainment per, purposes. Maybe he's trying to be edgy and controversial for ratings. I don't really know. What he says and does seems to keep him where he wants to be. Regardless, he maintains his cocky little attitude uninterrupted by Tesla's stock increasing by a thousand percent. The show must go on. And so it does. Confession number four. No one cares how much you know. Full stop. You've heard the cliche, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. That's total bunk as far as I'm concerned. People don't care how much you know, nor are they concerned with how much you care. 
They can't be given the solution to their problems. They usually prefer to solve their own problems. Many of my friends have confessed to me how smart and knowledgeable they think I am just to completely ignore my advice. A friend once told me, well, I just have to make my own decisions. I agree. And one of those decisions can be taking good advice from someone who has a proven record of making better decisions than you. It means nothing to me if you think I'm smart and know so much if you don't let me help you. Ask any parent if caring helps their advice with their adult children or teenagers or any children of any age. If someone has a history of terrible financial decisions, nothing you can say seems to stop them from making that next bad decision. All that history of bad decision-making is evidence that they have plenty of experience under their belt to make this next decision on their own. This time, their formerly suppressed brilliance is going to finally surface and overthrow a long record of devastation. If someone has a, a history of toxic relationship, they have certainly learned from, from them, and now they have perfect judgment going forward no matter what you see from your point of view. Oh, you can point to your record of good choices and outcomes all you want. In their eyes, you're just lucky and good fortunate ways you had little or no control over. Even if they brought up their own problems in a conversation, they just want to hear them, their own thoughts out loud. You thought they wanted your advice? Ha! <laughs> Bending your ear freed them up to talk to themselves out loud without being viewed as crazy. Confession number five. Friends don't let friends debunk. You don't know anything about economics, do you? Mike accused. I tried to explain why the Iraqi dinar was not going to pop like he thought it was. Well, I've read over 30 books on economics alone. How many more books do you think I should read about the topic? I responded, almost laughing. If there was any subject I did know, it was economics. More than 3,000 years of known monetary history shows that what he was expecting to happen wasn't possible in any practical way. Maybe 30 books more, he retorted. Somehow the Iraqi government was about to revaluate their currency and it was going to make his holding of about $1,000 worth of dinar into $1.2 million. I knew that in order to, for that to happen, about 99.99% of the currency had to disappear, like as in deleted outright. In other words, more holdings than the Iraqi government and central bank combined would have to be destroyed, completely and permanently. It was a clear, colossal, systematic conflict of interest for that to happen. Governments and central banks throughout history almost always and reliably do the very opposite every single year, year after year, decade after decade, century, and millenniums over. Governments and central banks have always and consistently created money out of nothing, not the other way around. You can take that to the bank. My friend didn't want anything else to be true. It was cognitive bias, misinformation, and delusion all wrapped up into one ill-informed retirement plan. Or was it? Since our conversation, the dinar has dropped 4.5% compared with the dollar. The dollar has dropped 5% compared with everything else. A rounded 10% loss. 
Meanwhile, the S&P 500 has gone up by at least 20%, and that's after the recent market crash. Add those two numbers together, and we're close to a 30% difference in a mere three years. Yet this holding was indeed like a lottery ticket that keeps on giving. He bought a, to date, 10-year lottery ticket for a real nominal loss of maybe $100. Unlike something purchased at your local gas station, his plan could be redeemed at any time with most of its value still intact. Was it really a bad investment? What is the monetary value of hope anyway? I don't expect to find a quantifiable answer in any economic textbook. Confession number six. Certainty's ceiling is shallow. Certainty accompanies unwitting ignorance as well as unobtainable omniscience. It also resides in various places in between. Confidence is an unlikely indication of truth. Unwarranted confidence excretes from the pores of even the most educated, despite knowing that what they teach isn't certain. Many things that are thought to be true are spoken as fact. Perhaps it's more efficient to communicate to the masses without getting bogged down with qualifying caveats. Since we can't verify everything for ourselves, we do have to trust other people at some point. Admittedly, some things can only be dumbed down so much before irreducible complexity exceeds the comprehension of the masses. Likewise, the average person will experience the same thing. We find ourselves learning just enough to be confident that we have made the correct conclusion while not knowing enough to realize that we are wrong. Certainty is the enemy of curiosity, and we are more comfortable with solid conclusions. It is compelling to stop questioning ourselves once we get there. We even defend our conclusions viciously. Learning is hard enough, but relearning, that's even harder. Alas, the edges of discovery are littered with split ends. Before mankind discovered quarks and electrons, we were very certain that the atom was the foundation of all matter in reality. That's why it was named the atom. Newton could measure physics with math. Math doesn't lie. Then Einstein published relativity, which overthrew Newton physics. He also used math, and that doesn't lie either. Or does it? Then how do we reconcile that math with quantum theory math? Both work at their levels, but are thus far irreconcilable. We seem to find ourselves having two competing answers, which doesn't seem much different than having no answer at all. Is Schrodinger's cat dead or alive? Is the smallest thing a particle or wave? Which came first, the chicken or egg? The dead-end fringes of knowledge are forked and fogged. Perhaps that's why Hebrews 11 says that faith is conviction without proof. By faith we accept that all things are made by things which cannot be seen. Two thousand years later, this declaration remains true. We can't see what everything is made of, because whatever it is, it's smaller than light. In that same scripture, it also says that what makes up all that is was created by the Word of God. At the end of discovery... One has a choice to make. We have to choose what to believe without solid proof. 
This isn't a choice between faith and science. It's a choice that everyone has to make when we run out of things we can actually know, understand, and personally verify. We can choose a confident, charismatic, persuasive voice, or perhaps we can listen to the voice that spoke the universe into existence. Perhaps that first great voice speaks to us. Are you listening to that unseen voice, that still, small voice? Conclusion Ignorance has many friends, but it is not a reasonable strategy for finding truth. Those who choose to remain ignorant don't usually obtain a desirable life. Yet the pursuit of knowledge will not likely end in knowing completely. Knowing more than everyone around you does not come with social reinforcement. Instead, it often results in social isolation. Telling the future in detail before it happens ten out of ten times will not eliminate doubters and is often a hollow victory. Yet I still recommend the pursuit of knowledge, just like the first author of the first confession of a know-it-all did, nearly 3,000 years ago. You know this book as Ecclesiastes and the author as King Solomon. A special thanks to Sherman Dye for helping with the final touches. You can find him at the Word Crier with WordPress. Thanks for listening.